0: Good evening, brothers and sisters and friends of the truth. I also would like to thank Brother Tommy and the Bible School Committee for giving me this opportunity to speak to you this evening. I would also like to thank the Bible School Ecclesia and all those that are involved for their effort this week. I recognize that there is much effort put in to to put a week of study on such as this. My wife and I and our son are definitely excited about being here, and we are looking forward to this week with all of you. Or, as you would say, you all. Uh, tonight, I feel just a bit inadequate, especially as Brother Tommy mentioned that there are a few here that have been at the first Bible school of Arkansas. Uh, and that reason is because there's a lot. A lot more brothers out there that have a lot more knowledge than I have and a lot more experience. So I guess to compensate that, I'll stick to the scripture as is written before us. Uh, before I get into the topic this evening, I'd like to make one point here, and that is about the structure that we are sitting under right now. Oftentimes, as I sat in the audience listening to a speaker up here, I found myself with my eyes wandering upward and looking at the structure that we have above our heads and the way it is built and all the different and necessary pieces that are put in there uh, to make this structure strong. And I imagine, and hopefully this week I'll get a little bit of history on this building, but I imagine these posts in the middle weren't always there. I might be wrong, but I don't think they're always there. And that's just natural things turning to dust again and as I have looked at this structure and thought about it even not even being here but have thought about it in the past I can only apply it to the truth and what we have that all the portions of truth uh, mesh together very well they fit together to give the truth as we know it integrity and I'd like to read you a quote Uh, It's from Brother J.J. Andrew in The Real Christ, and it says, Christ is the foundation on which the building rests, the keystone that locks the arch and the pivot round which the whole plan turns. If he be taken away, the entire fabric will fall to pieces, and even if his position in it be altered by means of a false conception of him, its stability will be impaired and its beauty destroyed. Equally true is it that if any portion of the building the building be taken away or disfigured, our conception of him will be proportionately perverted. It will not do to form an ideal of our own concerning him. What God requires of us is to know him and to believe in him according to the scriptures. We can apply this to Christ and we can apply this to all the truths as we hold them dear. So let us deal with the question at hand. Brother Tommy has given me my topic for this evening and it's in the form of a question. And the question is, and I think I have this right, Brother Tommy, at baptism, is eternal life a possession or something that is hoped for? And as I began to study this topic, I found it to be a very uplifting topic to me. And I'd like to answer this question Uh, very quickly with some scriptures. So I'd ask that you all open your Bible now and we'll look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We read, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, a peculiar people, zealous of good works, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. If we jump to the next chapter in chapter 3 at verse 7, we have this word hope a little more defined that is uh, written in verse 13 of chapter 2. So Titus 3, 7 says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And if you look in your Strong's Concordance or any other concordance that you might have, there are, there are plenty, plenty of verses that have this word hope first and then eternal life uh, following that word hope. So I, th- I, w- I think that those couple of verses right there would answer the question, uh, when do we have eternal life? Well, we don't have it right now, but it is something hoped for. And in these verses, we read that at baptism, when we are justified, we are made heirs to the covenants of promise, and we are given this hope of eternal life. And that is the reason why we're here tonight. That's the reason why we've come here this week. We've brought our kids and our families here this week to this Bible school to learn more about the truth, to be uplifted. To encourage one another to, to provoke one another to God's works or to good works to study the things that are essential for salvation turn with me to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 Romans 15 verse 4 for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. As we understand God's holy precepts that are written in this word before us, and we are obedient to his laws, we have this hope. And that's the hope, again, of eternal life. See, the problem is that mankind is on track to die. God gave his law in the garden, and he said, The day that thou... Eatest of this fruit, thou shalt surely die, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. We know that man ate the fruit, thus he passed the sentence upon all men of death, that man would die and die eternally. He was driven from the garden and he was barred from the tree of life. I think we all understand death very well. Uh, And if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, most in the room here probably could quote this verse, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, we read, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten." The opposite of this death forever is death or life eternal. And let us define eternal life at this point. Well, according to Webster's, it means life everlasting, life always going on, life never stopping, and life without end. And If this was the extent of the promise, would it be the greatest gift that we could have? Would this be a great hope if that was it? Life as we know it going on forever? Well, if you ask somebody that's probably 18 to 30, 35, not so bad. Uh, When you're in your prime, you're strong, you can do pretty much anything, or so you think. Uh, But the problem is, and if you look around, uh, you look at yourself, you begin to get old. Uh, You don't feel as well as you used to. In the morning when you wake up, it takes a few minutes to get things moving. Uh, And and that's just on the natural level. Then you have, on top of that, the trials of life that we all deal with each and every day. What about the society around us? The corruption that we see on the news every day, reading newspapers. And then on top of that, we add our own corrupt minds the battle that we have against sin every day so if you asked me if i wanted to live forever in the state i am now i'd probably say no i wouldn't but as we look at this topic of eternal life there's another word that i would say could be used synonymous, synonymously with with it and that word is immortality and the definition of immortality is not mortal deathless living or lasting forever. I'd like to give you a quote from Thomas Williams in The World's Redemption. On the subject, he says, what has been said in reference to eternal life is largely applicable to the subject of immortality. For eternal life implies immortality, the distinction being only in that the former has to do with the duration of life and the latter relates to the nature that is capable of enduring forever and of a sustaining endless life. So with immortality, we live forever, and also comes the relief from the battle that we have every day, the battle against our flesh, the battle to do wrong. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Verses 14 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality i repeat that phrase, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Christ now dwells in the light 100% of the time. He does not have this battle that is talked about in Romans chapter 7 by Paul, this battle against the flesh, naturally or mentally, he dwells in the light a hundred percent of the time, and we cannot approach that light. If you turn to Philippians chapter three, and by the way, there'll be quite a few verses that we'll read tonight. Uh, Philippians chapter three, verses twenty and twenty-one. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things unto himself. So we have this change in nature here. We have our bodies fashioned like Christ, and our bodies fashioned like Christ to dwell in the light. And that is when he returns to the earth. Just another scripture to back that point up a little further in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 51. Again, some more very well known verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. Behold, I show you a mystery. That is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we possess this now? Has any of you or I been changed to be incorruptible? I haven't seen it. And we are waiting for this to happen in the future. Our bodies have not been changed as of yet. Our bodies will be changed at the judgment seat. Look at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Romans 2, 6 and 7 who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's when we'll be changed. That's when we'll be given both immortality and eternal life. Again, as we said before, scripturally, eternal life implies immortality. I would say that they're both the same thing. When we understand what eternal life is or immortality is, I think we can use both words uh, together. It, It does not promise unending life as we know it, but eternal life promises something more than that. It promises us immortality, dwelling in the light as we have said before, that is unapproachable now. Our vile bodies will be changed, as Paul said, and we will dwell in the light. Now, if we take a few verses out of context from the rest of the scriptures, it seems that if we become baptized, or if we know Jesus Christ, then we have eternal life. And those verses are in 1 John chapter 5. And I think as we take a little bit closer look at these verses, it is not saying that at all. 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. This is the record that God hath given to us. Eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Many of us are baptized here. Many of us know who Jesus the Christ is. Do we have this eternal life? And again, I would say that we do not. So to what extent is John talking about this eternal life and having this eternal life here? Well, if you look back a couple of chapters, the same author, and John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, he says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. We've been promised eternal life. We have been given hope. We have been given this hope when we become baptized. If you turn back to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And this is where I think this subject comes, becomes very uplifting. This vision that we have in front of us, as the proverb tells us, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that's why we have so many talks being given this week on prophecy, the, the hope that we have before us, They'll be talking to our young people, to us, giving us this vision of the future, this hope of eternal life. Turn over to Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Paul says, for we are saved by hope. but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet, yet hope for But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. This is what we are saved by, having this hope. We have this goal in front of us at all times. We have something to attain to. And by having this goal in front of us at all times, we are persuaded to do the things that are right. And again, as we just heard our brothers give the give a little outline of what they're going to give this week for classes. We have the next thing of doctrine and walk, the things that we are supposed to do when we have this vision in front of us to make this vision real. I'd like to look at a few quick examples of some patriarchs of old. Now, just for a couple of minutes. Genesis chapter 22 and... uh, we had a few things mentioned about this already in the promises to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, I feel personally that this is a very, very thought-provoking passage in Scripture, and for Abraham, I think this was one of the greatest things that he could ever see in his life. In Genesis 22, we have the account of the sacrifice of Isaac, and I'm interested this evening in the end of this passage in verses 15 through 18. Genesis 22, 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. At the end of verse 17, it is prophesied that, prophesied that his seed would possess, possess the gate of his enemies. This is the singular seed of Christ fulfills the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 he will crush the head of sin the head of the serpent thus in verse 18 we read in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed all nations of the earth will be blessed through Christ because of what he did on the cross and if we look back again into the New Testament in John chapter 8 verse 56 we have something said about abraham john 8 john 8 verse 56 your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad abraham saw christ's day and i think that this account in genesis chapter 22 really provoked him provoked his thoughts about Jesus in the future. He saw Christ's day and was glad. And these things helped Abraham to understand what would happen. And personally, I feel that some of these patriarchs of old that many things were revealed to had a very, very clear picture of what was to happen in God's redemptive plan. We see Abraham died in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, a very well-known portion of scripture to us. Hebrews 11 he is mentioned. And in verse 13. We read. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them. Embraced them. And confessed that they were strangers. And pilgrims on the earth. And these words here. In verse 13, it says that he did not receive the promises, but he saw them afar off, and he was persuaded of them. He knew they were true. He saw them, but he did not receive them. He had the hope of them, but he did not receive them in his life. Another example is Moses. One of our brothers also mentioned him, I think Brother Ken. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34 verses 1 through 5. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 5. This can be either a very sad passage in Scripture or it can be a very happy one. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plains of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes but thou shalt not go over thither Moses just before he dies was shown the promised land at a time when his eye was not dim nor was his strength or natural force as it says abated God tells him that this is the land that he swore to Abraham Isaac and Jacob if we go back to those promises we know that this land was sworn as a promise forever This is a possession forever. And in type, this promised land is the kingdom of God. Will be established on the earth with Christ the righteous king reigning on David's throne. And I think again that Moses understood this very well. And if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 where he is mentioned, the last verse, and this applies to more than just him and Abraham because there are plenty more that we could mention on this subject Hebrews 11 verse 39 and these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise and like I said we could keep going on and on with many examples such as these this hope and this vision that these men had was very real and that's why they kept it to the end these great men of old had this vision in front of them all the time And when they died, they died in full faith and hope that when they were resurrected, that when they are resurrected, this hope would be granted and they would be crowned with eternal life, immortality. Going back to the fifth chapter of 1 John, verse 11, the last portion of verse 11, it says, And this life is in his Son. And as we look at this whole subject, I think we need to realize that until God's Son is in our midst, we cannot possess this eternal life. Turn back to Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. We are, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So Christ has this life that was given to him by God, and we are now hopeful for this life. But it's conditional on what we do now. It's conditional on our probation. A few minutes ago we said that man was punished To die. He was banned from the tree of life. And left at that, we would be dying creatures. We would have this eternal death that we read about in in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We would have no hope. But that was not the plan that God had. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By this second Adam we have been given the hope of righteousness. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read of this hope of righteousness that Paul had at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. The Apostle Paul had full faith and hope that when he is resurrected, he will be crowned with eternal life, with immortality. And this is all our hope and desire, all of us here. And that's, again, why the reason why we are here this week. That we might, when our Savior returns, put on this immortality and be granted eternal life. And I'd like to close with a couple verses. The one is in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now we are the sons of God, being baptized, being in covenant. When Christ appears, we shall be like him if we purify ourselves as he did, if we keep our minds fixed on this goal before us that we've talked about briefly this evening, we need to keep a vision of the kingdom as the patriarchs of old did. And in closing, the closing verse I'd like to read, and then I will sit down, is Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. And again, a very well-known verse to us all. He that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the ecclesia to him that overcometh will i give to eat of this of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god